0: so thankful that nothing formed against us shall stand. Thank you that you are the God of angel armies, and there is nothing that we have to fear. Jesus, we honor you, and we pray that you would speak to us now through the teaching of your word. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You could have a seat. Well, I'm honored this morning to be able to introduce you uh, a friend of mine. This is Paul Mitten. His wife, Jan, is here with us. Paul's official title is uh, District Executive Minister for Converge Rocky Mountain. And basically, let me boil that down for you. Paul is a pastor to pastors. Uh, Paul oversees uh, a group of pastors in churches in Colorado, Wyoming, Nebraska, and Utah, and soon New Mexico. Uh, And if you can imagine, that is a huge job. That's a huge undertaking. But Paul has been a huge source of encouragement to to me and to Sarah and to uh, David and his wife. Uh, as well as all of the other pastors up and down the front range of uh, Colorado and into Nebraska and, and all the way down into Utah. Uh, Paul is uh, he's a father. He has two children in, in ministry uh, in Colorado. His son's in ministry in Colorado. His daughter's in ministry in, in Minnesota. I was trying to think of something embarrassing to tell you about Paul. And, uh, the, you know, the only thing that I could really come up with, Paul is an expert in bulldogs. That's right. That he, he actually uh, owns a show quality? Champion. A champion. A champion, a champion bulldog uh, named? Butch. Butch. And he also has a boxer named? Sundance. So at his home, he has Butch and Sundance. So please help me in welcoming. This is Paul Mitten. Thank you. Thanks, Ty. <laughs>
1: Not that Ty would want to mention that our daughter is due for our first grandchild, October 13th, or anything like that, but I'll say that. And we do have a bulldog, and he's kind of a phenomenon on Facebook, so people want to know how he's doing. Yeah, but it's great to be with you. It's great to see Pastor Dick and Ruthie and the family, and, and it's just really fun to be here and uh, to thank you for the important part you are in this movement of churches we call Converge Rocky Mountain. We, we do cover a huge geographical area. We were over in Rock Springs uh, two Sundays ago. There, a church over there is going to be coming into the Converge family and just enjoyed getting into a little different part of Wyoming, not quite as southeastern as we have been. But I want to thank you for your prayers, for your participation in our leadership training, different things that we do, and also for your financial uh, partnership. You know, because of that, we're able to work together and really make a difference in our region. For example, this past year we gave over $30,000 uh, for flood relief in Estes Park, Colorado. And a couple months I spoke there and an elderly woman came up and said, please thank the Churches of Converge Rocky Mountain. Because of their investment, I was able to, in part, that helped me to rebuild my house. And so I'm so grateful what you're doing. So, so your investments here help a church down in Estes Park and, and a lot of people down in the Estes Park area. So that's exciting. Your investment also helps us to train leaders like the event that you talked about um, uh, earlier with, with our Together to Transform event. That will probably be our new president, uh, Scott Rideout, who was on that announcement. I didn't know that when I booked him, so now I look like a genius because we have the incoming president and the retiring president from Converge all at the same event. I am going to talk about Scott, about getting a different haircut. But other than that, I think he'll, he'll be a great guy and a, and a phenomenal leader. But it's down in Estes Park, and it's for every one of you. It's designed not just for pastors and leaders, but every person to grow in their faith, to come and experience a great spiritual high point of the year, to have worship together, to fellowship together, to enjoy the beauty of God's surroundings. It's only $39. We tried to keep it as low as we possibly could. So there are some brochures out in the back if you want to register this way, or you can register online at togethertotransform.org. But I really want to encourage you. This is a good way to build into your faith and, and uh, bring a busload down to Estes Park, November 14th and 15th finally one of the things that we also do together is we start new churches we birth new churches this year as we work together uh, we are starting four new congregations across our region and word has it that you guys are pregnant I said that this morning I had all these shocked looks on people's faces I'm not talking about in your you know in your families I'm talking about that uh, that North Hills is going to have a baby and I can't tell you, uh, Ty and Sarah, we went to Indianapolis uh, probably a month and a half ago or so. What a thrill to be able to assess them as to see if they are, really have what it takes to be a church planting couple. And they were there with probably 15 other couples, I would guess. And just to brag on them a little bit, by the end of our time together, the other assessors said, your couple is the most solid couple that we have here. One of the guys said, you know, in our interview with with Sarah, I thought she was shy and reserved. And the more she talked and talked about her passion for Lusk, all I could see was the face of Jesus. And I told Sarah, "You, you don't get a higher compliment than that. So... I mean, we are so proud of them. You've done a great job nurturing them and their leadership abilities. And we're going to work together to make sure that there's a new church in Lusk that's thriving and transformational and making a difference. And it won't just be you guys. It'll be all the churches of Converge in one way or another coming around to help us uh, get a new beacon of hope in in Lusk and and beyond. This is just the first of many. Right now we're strategizing. How can we add 100 congregations to our fellowship of churches uh, in the next 10 years? Because we believe the more beacons of hope that we have, the better we're going to be able to transform the Rockies for Christ. So thank you for all that. I also want to thank you for letting Pastor David and Sarah have a little sabbatical. I mean, it seems like a pastor's job is a piece of cake. They only work one day a week, you know, and it's no big problem at all. But, but you'd be amazed at how difficult the job of ministry is, the toll it takes on, on your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. I mean, church leaders are under attack. We have an enemy that's trying to take us out. So it, just, it might surprise you to learn that, that 1,500 pastors permanently walk away from ministry every month. 1,500 walk away every month. 70% claim they don't have a close friend or confidant. Over 50% of pastors' wives say that ministry has had a destructive impact on their family. of pastors report they feel burned out or that they battle discouragement and depression every week. Those are high percentages. So to give Pastor David time off is not just a nice thing to do. It is a wise thing to do. He needs that time to heal up and to refresh his spirit and and to to recharge his batteries and be with the Lord and just to hear from him and to grow as his leader. So I want to thank you for, for the gift that you've given him. This is Pastor Appreciation Month. All the all the pastors know that. So, yeah. But but this is a beautiful way that you've been able to to tell Pastor David that you appreciate him, and I want you to thank you for setting the example for other churches in our in our district. Well, the mission statement of Converge Rocky Mountain, the shared mission that we're all pulling for together, is churches together transforming lives and communities. Churches together. We believe that we're better, we're stronger together than we are separate. So churches together, not just to teach, not just to fellowship, not just to worship, but to see inside out transformation take place in people's lives and in communities. So let's say that together so you won't forget it. Churches together. Do do this too. Do, um, it's like v- VBS. Churches together transforming lives and communities. One more time, since that one was so loud. Churches together, transforming lives and communities. And, and that's the theme that I want us to talk about this morning. And I want to look at the whole idea that radical, inside-out, spiritual transformation in, in our region, in our world, happens best when that transformation takes place in our lives and in our churches. So turn to Colossians 3, 1 through 17 in your bible or on your smartphone or your ipad or whatever it is you're looking at and we're going to let this passage guide us this morning colossians 1 colossians 3 1 through 17 but let's pray before we start father god we come before you and and i know this church has been focused on how to be better neighbors how to really make an impact in the people's lives that live around them, how to reach out, how to connect, how to help. The care ministry is just wonderful to hear about. And I ask that today you'll show us how we can do that even more effectively if we look like Jesus as we carry out that neighboring. Help us to grow. Teach us all, Lord. Help me to get out of the way so that you can can speak. Give us open hearts and open ears to listen and to be different because you have spoken with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm guessing most of you have seen or heard about the show Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Are you familiar with that show where Ty Pennington will show up with his design team and and surprise a needy family in a dilapidated house, and they send the family off to Disney World, and in in a short week they transform that mess into a mansion. You know, I think they did it down in Cheyenne. I think they had a real real, uh, episode from Cheyenne. You know, And, and probably you'd know about the climactic scene where they bring the family back and, and, and the house is ready, but they can't see it because there's a big bus in the way. You've seen this, haven't you? And then they start to chant, move that bus, move that bus. And it gets louder and louder until finally the bus pulls away and there in front of the family is this spectacular new home. And it's so amazing that their knees buckle and they start to cry and the crowd is screaming and Ty gives them a tour and it's all sponsored by Sears. And Am I capturing it? Am I, am I getting close? Is anybody awake? I'm having a heart attack up here. But okay. Yeah, now, now just imagine if this happened. The family's back. The bus is there. The crowd is chanting. Move that bus. Move that bus. And the, the bus pulls away. But this time, instead of a new mansion, what's before the, the people is the same old mess they left a week ago. And the crowd gasps. What? And Ty comes up to the microphone and he says, I'm sorry, folks. I know this isn't what you were expecting, but our, our hands were tied. Before the family left, they told us they were perfectly happy with their old mess. They didn't want to make any changes. They forbid us from doing anything. The builders were ready. The volunteers were ready. They had all the resources at their disposal, but they said, no, we're happy with the way it is. Can you imagine the crowd? Who, All these resources, all this hope of a new spectacular way of life, and these people pass on it? They settle for that old thing? Who in their right mind would make a bad choice like that? And it would be a bad choice, wouldn't it? But you know, I think Christians many times make that bad choice. You know, all the time they make it. Think about it. Before Christ, our life is a mess, isn't it? I mean, we're polluted with all kinds of sinful behaviors. Destructive patterns that tear apart relationships or tear other people down or very destructive. We're at war with God. We're headed for a Christless eternity in hell. Our life is a mess. But then Jesus steps in. He invites us to put our faith in Him. And when we do, everything changes. Our sin is forgiven. Our, Our place in God's family is secure a wealth of supernatural life resources now become available to us. Our Heavenly Father invites us into a whole new way of life, not just in heaven, but right here on earth, an extreme makeover life addition. Romans 8.29 declares uh, that God's desire, His divine destiny for every adopted child is that we, what, be conformed to the image of His Son Jesus. That day by day, We progress towards looking and acting and reacting just like Jesus would if he were in our place, to become like Jesus. That is the spiritual reality that every believer, that you have been equipped and empowered for today. But here's the problem. A lot of times that that transformation never takes place. Positionally, because of the work of Christ on the cross, because of what we celebrate today, Every true believer can stand righteous before a holy God. But practically speaking, oftentimes we don't notice the day-to-day Christ-like changes taking place. I mean, maybe you know of someone who put their faith in Christ a year ago, or years ago, or decades ago. They, they, they put their faith in Christ, but that's pretty much where their transform, transformation journey came to a stop. And even though they go to church, and, and, and maybe are in a life group, and maybe serve once in a while... You know, even though they've been to church for years and have rubbed shoulders with other Christians, so often the bust can pull away, and they're standing in front of us is the same worry filled, self reliant, angry soul that supposedly went through a spiritual metamorphosis metaphor- years ago. And you have to ask why. Why would you choose to hang on to your old sinful patterns and habits when God has so much more in store for you right now here on this earth? And sometimes I need to ask myself the same question. I'm not leaving myself out of this. I don't always look as much like Christ as I want to. We're going through some tough stuff in our family now, and my reactions many times are not Christ-like. I don't look like Jesus. But I want to. And I bet you do too. Could there be any better way to live life on this earth than to live it like Jesus would live it, with that strength and security? And see, to become like Jesus is critical, not just for our sake, but for the sake of the kingdom. Because when we look like Jesus, we do experience the abundant life he's promised us. But we also become incredible witnesses for the cause of Christ. Because when people can see Jesus in you, when people can see the kingdom of God and how North Hills operates, they're going to say, I want what they have. That hope, that peace, that that strength during troubles. I want that. I want to be like that. And you're going to invite people into the family and life after life after life is going to be transformed for the glory of God. So the question really comes this morning, how? How? How can we spirit, uh, how can we experience a spiritual makeover that leaves us looking more and more like our Lord and Savior? The Apostle Paul gives us some answers this morning in Colossians three one through seventeen. He gives us three choices that we need to make each day, choices that will lead to a transformed life. So let's let's look at them quickly. I think you have a message insert you can follow along. You have all kinds of inserts this morning. So in uh, um, in the verse one, uh, our first. Uh, Choice is choose to embrace your new identity in Christ. Choose to embrace your new identity in Christ. Look at verse uh, one of Colossians three. Paul writes, "Since you believer have been raised with Christ, since you've been raised with Christ." It's a small fragment, but it is such a pivotal truth. You see, uh, Paul is saying that that when you put your faith in Jesus, a resurrection takes place. Your resurrection. The old you dies. It goes into the grave, and a brand new you is born. You can't miss this. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians five seventeen: In Christ, believers, we are a brand new creation. The old us, with all of our mistakes and history and sins and, and sin's power over us, all of that old stuff is gone completely wiped out, and a new life with Christ begins. Again in Galatians 2.20 Paul writes, I, the old me, has been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. You see, after you put your faith in Jesus you may look in the mirror and see the same old you but believe me, you are not the same old you. You may even see some of your old patterns and temptations and problems rise up But here's the thing, all of that old stuff no longer has the power to define who you are. When you put your faith in Christ, you are born again as a citizen of God's kingdom. It is now God who defines who you are as his child. You used to have to fend through life all by yourself, navigate and fight and undercut and criticize and whatever, but now you have the king of kings residing in you. Jesus is with you to help you with every decision that you make to provide the wisdom you need on tough choices to provide the resources you need for whatever challenge you will face you're a different person and that's a great truth but we often forget it so to jog our memories this morning I gave you another insert it says who I am in Christ if you want to pull that out of your worship folder we're going to read that together because that just defines some of the qualities that are now true about you if you're a Christ follower and if you haven't put your faith in Christ, all of these things will be true the moment you put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I want us to read through these because we forget that we're not the same person we used to be. So let's read these together. We won't read the references, let's just make the declarations, but let's read them together and just let it sink in. This is all true about me. It's God's Word. He can't lie. This is pure truth about you. All right, here we go. In Christ, I am a saint. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. I am holy, blameless, and covered with God's love. I am chosen. I am God's child. I am redeemed and forgiven. I am identified by the Holy Spirit in me. I am God's masterpiece. I am near to God. I can come into God's presence with freedom and confidence. I am a minister. I am a member of Christ's body, the church. I am declared not guilty. I can no longer be condemned. I am set free from the law of sin and death. I am born of God and the evil one can't touch me. I am a new creation. I am Christ's friend. I am complete. Pretty powerful list. And I would encourage you to keep this somewhere in your Bible or put it in your car or up on your mirror where you can just review it every day and remind yourself, I'm not the person I used to be. I can handle life differently because who I've become in Christ. I mean, really understanding and embracing our new identity provides the foundation for all of our journeys towards Christ-likeness. But you're going to need to make a choice. Because every day you are going to have old habits and sinful patterns uh, kind of rise up and tug at your heart and call you back to the way you used to live. You're going to have a spiritual enemy that's going to try to get you to forget that Christ now resides in you. You've got to live on your own. You'll never overcome that, that thing. You'll never change. It's impossible. But when those attacks come, that's when you need to rise up and you need to declare, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. I wouldn't have had a chance, but I don't live. Now Christ lives in me, and because of that, I can live like a child of the King. Choose to embrace your new identity in Christ. You are not the same person you used to be before Christ. Well, second choice we need to make if you're going to move towards Christ-likeness, choose to download and activate a new operating system. Choose to download and activate a new operating system. Jan and I got a new PC this year, and it came with Windows 8. Now they have Windows 10, so now we're going to have to upgrade to Windows 10. But... But, you know, if you're a Windows person, you know it's radically different than all of the other operating systems they had. And some of our old programs wouldn't work on Windows. They, and we had to learn this whole new thing and it had different drop-downs and how to navigate it and everything. But now that we've had it for a while, we like it. It's, it's fast and it, it's, it's, it looks good and it doesn't crash and so much better than a Mac. Do we have any Mac people here? All right. I'll talk slower. Um, (laughs) I just made that one up. (laughs) Yeah. No, but you see, for us to, we have this new computer, but to take full advantage of it, we needed to understand and learn how to utilize the new operating system. It would have been worthless if we tried to do it the old way. And Paul's saying the same is true for believers interested in transformation. Look at uh, verse 1 again. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, believers. Paul says, Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And that is to signify the power and the authority that Christ has, and, and that same Christ that lives in us. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. That's the old stuff. Look at this. For you died. Remember, you're not the same. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You belong up here. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And Paul is saying, believers, instead of muddling around with all of this earthly mess, you've got to dig out of that because now it's time for you to set your mind on the things of God's kingdom, what really excites him. Set our hearts here, speaks of bringing the basic desires of our life into harmony with God's desires setting our minds talks about the renewing of our minds but it also talks about developing uh, uh, the values and the passions of the kingdom it could be translated get excited about the things that Jesus gets excited about that's how you should uh, live now that you're a new person in Christ and then just in case there's any confusion over a, a worldly operating system and a kingdom operating system what you had to live with and what you can now live with Paul gets specific so look at verse 5 Paul says Put to death, therefore, believers, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Okay, so we know that we've died. We've gone into the grave. But Paul is honest enough to say, every once in a while, some of those old attitudes are going to start to rise up. Anger or resentment or whatever, it's going to start to rise up. But Paul's saying, you're a new person now, so you can put that behavior to death. I mean, it's rising up. I, I used a zombie illustration this morning and it just freaked everybody out. But it's kind of like zombie behaviors coming back from the dead. And, and Paul's saying, drive us wooden stake through their heart. In the power of Christ, put that, that uh, uh, attitude to death. It no longer has to dominate your life. In Christ, you have the power to get rid of those corrosive behaviors. In Christ, you can choose a new, better way to live so Paul says put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature and then he gets specific sexual immorality impurity lust that's the world stuff God's is perfect pure love evil desires and greed which is idolatry because of these the wrath of God is coming you used to walk in these ways believer in the life you once lived but now you must rid your, also rid yourself of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips that's the old stuff do not lie to each other that's the vocabulary of Satan he's the, the father of lies we, we serve the king of truth now look at this exchange here do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. All that sinful, stinky, old cloth, We've taken it off and have put on the new self, the royal robes of God's kingdom. Put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. You see... Every believer, no matter what your background, no matter what your history, is filled with Jesus, and we're just destined to become just like Jesus. He's the great equalizer. So then Paul goes on to get specific now about our new kingdom operating system that we are to activate. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. And I love how he leads with this. Folks, you are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. All these behaviors I'm going to talk about now, you don't do them to earn God's love, You do them in response to God's love because he's already poured out so much into your life. Now you have the power and the ability to let these kingdom characteristics percolate up into your life and and, and be spread around. He says, uh, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, which literally means put up with each other, and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Remember all the stuff that God forgave you for? Extend that same grace to those around you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Paul calls us to adopt a new way of life. A way of life that looks a lot like Jesus, don't you think? So, so, what is your default operating system these days? When trouble comes, when you wake up in the morning, you've got to face a new day. Do you, do you immediately revert back to the world's way of, of, of doing whatever it takes to get ahead and, and, and operating as if Christ is not in your life? Or will you choose to now say, wait a second, I'm a new person and I have a new way to live? And so, God, you tell me, how would you respond to this? Lord, how would you reach out to my neighbor? How would you reach out to my coworker? How How would you treat my spouse? Because whatever you would do, that's what I want to do now. I want to bring my life into harmony with your kingdom operating system. And you see, it's only God's operating system that will lead you to a life just like Jesus. Well, the third choice you need to make is choose to turn your human trying into spiritual training. Choose to tu- turn your human trying into spiritual training. I don't know about you, but when I see this exchanged life that Paul is calling us to, one, I feel guilty right away because I realize how far short I fall in, in looking like Jesus. And then I just kind of set my... I've got to try harder. I've just got to try harder to be a better person, a better Christian, to set my mind on things above. I've got to try harder to overcome that sinful pattern and... You know, you've probably all tried harder. You heard a message here, Pastor David or Pastor Ty, and you, uh, how to treat people nice. And, and before you can even get out of the parking lot, somebody cuts you off, and you know, you're trying harder didn't work because you just yelled at them or said something. You know, went, ah, I gotta try harder. But you see, just trying harder is not enough. In and of myself, I don't have what it takes to transform my life, and neither do you. Just trying is not going to be enough. But you can become like Christ if you enter into an intentional life of training. That was Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way, church, as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will, last, that will not last but we go into strict training to get a crown that will last forever. It's worth it, this strict training. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. Paul said, I know the point to my life. is to look like Christ and just share his work in our world until I see him face to face. I do not fight like a man beating the air. I know who my enemies are. I know where I have to be on guard, what attitudes I need to put to death. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others... I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You see, Paul had a spiritual training regimen that he involved himself in that, that helped him continue to grow in Christ-likeness. Dallas Willard is a great writer who's now with the Lord, but he used this example to, to define trying and training. He said, if you want to play a Beethoven piano concerto, which I'm sure many of you do, if you want to play a Beethoven piano concerto, he said, you can sit at a piano bench for years and try. You can just try try. And you'll probably fail miserably. But he said, not if you enter into a life of training. If you get a teacher, if you start to do scales and arpeggios, start with little easier pieces of music, start to work your way up. If you have an intentional pattern of training, pretty soon you'll be making some pretty good music. And he says, it's the same in our walk with Christ. Willard says, true transformation is possible if we are willing to rearrange our lives around the same activities that Jesus engaged in to remain in continual fellowship with his Father and to receive continual power from his Father. And you know Jesus' pattern while he walked the earth. Even though crowds were tugging at him and come help me and heal me and do this and that, he would get away and he'd go up into the mountains. He would pray. He would reconnect with his Father. And if Jesus needed to do that, we do as well. Because I think that's what happens. We're well-meaning. We want to look like Jesus, but life gets in the way. And all of the busyness, and, and, and it just pushes us, and we've got all these concerns, and we've got bills to pay, and health things, and family things, and before you know it, God is way over there, and we're way over here. and We're out of fellowship with Him. It's been days, or weeks, since we've really had a heart-to-heart with Him. You know, we're disconnected from His power. We're, we're, we're not connected to the vine anymore. And it's really hard to look like Jesus when you're not connected. And so we need intentional activities, exercises. People call them spiritual disciplines that are designed to be activities that will intentionally move us back into the presence of God where we can enjoy His fellowship and His His strength. Does that make sense? That's why we do spiritual disciplines. It is our way of staying connected with our life source, which is our Heavenly Father. So to enter into a life of spiritual training, again, First, you give up trying, and you say, Holy Spirit, do in me what I can't do myself. Every day I say that. So, Holy Spirit, I don't know what I need to work on today. Show me my rough edges. Show me where you're working to help me look more like Jesus. And surrender your life to the work of the Holy Spirit. And then, cultivate a routine of spiritual disciplines. Some of the basic ones that we should all be involved in. You know, one is daily Bible study. You know, If you're only feasting on God's Word once a week, you're going to be a malnourished believer. No matter how good Pastor David or Pastor Ty are, uh, you, you need more. We all need to learn to be self-feeders, right? And, and we get into God's Word not just so that we can accumulate Bible knowledge and be a Bible whiz kid, because you know, if that's all we do, that can become a source of pride for us, kind of a source of arrogance that I know more than anybody else. The purpose of Bible study is to get to know God and to get to know the operating system so that we can live it out. We learn from God's Word and then we live it out. We learn and then we live it out. That's the purpose of Bible study. Prayer is another spiritual discipline because we're not a religion of rituals. We are a faith of relationship. And God wants to talk to you. He wants to connect heart to heart personally with you. Regular times of solitude to get away from the busyness or fasting or worship. Anything that will keep you mindful of the things of God's kingdom. I'm sure Pastor David or Pastor Ty would love to be your spiritual trainer. You know, many people have physical trainers and they do, you know, jumping jacks and push ups and you know this and that. You know, they'd love to be a spiritual trainer and just say, if you're working on this area of your life, here's some things that you can do that are going to help. I think helping with the care ministry is just a great discipline to just continue to be the feet and the hands of Jesus. But bottom line, if you want to become more like Jesus, don't try. Enter into an intentional life of training. And if you choose to embrace your new identity in Christ, if you choose to adopt a new operating system, if you choose to to, uh, train instead of try, what's the result? It's a life, it's a church that looks like Jesus. Look at verse 15. Paul writes, "...let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, And, and be thankful." Living to bring glory to God in all that we do and all that we say. That's what an extreme makeover is all about. Inviting God to take our mess and to go to work. And day by day, we change. Until finally, when the bus rolls away, even on this earth, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will look just like Mabel. Let me close with Mabel's story. Mabel was a woman who truly loved Jesus and she looked like Jesus. Tom Schmidt was a uh, young college kid and he interacted closely with Mabel and he writes this in one of his books. He writes, The state-run convalescent hospital is not a pleasant place. It is large, understaffed, and overfilled with senile and helpless and lonely people who are waiting to die. On the brightest of days, it seems dark inside and it smells of sickness and stale urine. I went there once or twice a week for four years, but I never wanted to go there, and I always left with a sense of relief. It's not the kind of place that one gets used to. On this particular day, I was walking in the hallway um, that I had not visited before, looking in vain for a few who were alive enough to receive a flower and a few words of encouragement. This hallway seemed to contain some of the worst cases, strapped onto carts or into wheelchairs and looking completely helpless. As I neared the end of the hallway, I saw an old woman strapped up in a wheelchair. She was blind, almost deaf. Her face was an absolute horror. One side having been eaten away by cancer, there was a discolored uh, sore running, uh, covering part of her cheek, and it had pushed her nose to one side. It dropped one eye, it distorted her jaw, so that what should have been the corner of her mouth was now the bottom of her mouth. As a consequence, she drooled constantly." I was told later that when new nurses arrived, the supervisors would send them in to feed this woman, thinking if they could stand at this site, they could stand anybody in the building. I also learned later that this woman was 89 years old and that she had been here bedridden, blind, nearly deaf, and alone for 25 years. This was Mabel. I don't know why I spoke to her. She looked less likely to respond than most of the people I saw in the hallway. But I put a flower in her hand, and I said, Here's a a flower for you. Happy Mother's Day. She held up the flower to her face and and tried to smell it. And then she spoke. And and much to my surprise, her words, although somewhat garbled because of her deformity, were obviously produced by a clear mind. She said, Thank you. It's lovely. But can I give it to someone else? I can't see it, you know. I'm blind. I said, Of course. Of course. And I pushed her chair back down the hallway to a place where I thought I could find some alert patients. I found one, and I stopped the chair. Mabel held out the flower and said, Here, this is from Jesus. That's when it began to dawn on me that this was not a normal human being. Later, I learned more about her history. She had grown up on a small farm that she managed only with her mother. After her mother died, she worked the farm alone until blindness set in. Eventually, her illness uh, drove her to the convalescent hospital. For nearly 25 years, she got weaker and sicker, constant headaches, backaches, aches, and then the cancer came. Her, her three roommates were all human vegetables who screamed occasionally but never talked. They often soiled their bedclothes, and the stench was overpowering. Mabel and I became friends over the next few months. And I went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. Her first words to me were usually an offer of hard candy out of her tissue box. Some days I would read to her from the Bible, and often when I would pause, she would continue reciting the passage word for word. On other days, I would take a book of hymns, and I would sing with her. And she would know all the words to all the old hymns. For Mabel, these were not merely exercises in memory. She would often stop in mid-hymn and make a brief comment about lyrics she considered relevant to her own situation. I never heard her speak of loneliness or pain, except in the stress that she placed on certain lines in certain hymns. It was not many weeks before I turned from a sense that I was being helpful to a sense of wonder. And, And I would go to her with pen and paper to write down the things that she would say. During one hectic week of final exams, I was frustrated because my mind seemed to be pulled in ten directions at once. The question occurred to me, what does Mabel have to think about? Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it's day or night. So I went to her and I asked, Mabel, what do you think about as you lie here? And she said, I think about... My Jesus. I sat there and thought for a minute about how hard it is for me to think about Jesus for five minutes, and I asked, What do you think about Jesus? She replied slowly and deliberately as I wrote I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those kind who's mostly satisfied. Lots of folks wouldn't care about what I think. Lots of folks would think I'm old-fashioned. But I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And then Mabel began to sing an old hymn. Jesus is all the world to me. My life. My joy. My all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I'm sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I'm sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. That's what a human life can become through the transforming power of God's Spirit. Despite her dark, difficult circumstances, Mabel still reflected the glory of Jesus and enjoyed a life of joy and peace and strength and hope, and so can you. Don't settle for a superficial faith. Don't settle for letting your old self dominate and destroy who you become in Christ. Invite God to conform you to the glorious image of His Son, and He will. And you will know life in its abundance. And this church filled with folks who looked like Jesus will see life after life after life drawn into the family of God. Churches together, transforming lives and communities, but it all begins with us. Let's pray. And maybe as you spend a little time with the Lord, just, just think about your own spiritual walk with Him. Are you connected to the vine? Are you pursuing Christ-likeness? Or have you drifted? It's easy to do. I, I do it all the time. But, but we need these checkpoints to say, I need to make a, a change. Lord, I want to look like you. I want to come back to you. I want to utilize the resources that you've given me to live a, a kingdom life here on earth. Would you just declare that to him if that's the desire of your heart to say, Lord, I want, help me to be more like Jesus. I give up. I quit trying. And now I start trusting in you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you love us so much, that you empower us with all that we need to live the kind of life you've called us to live. Not because it's a duty, not because it's a demand, because you know that's how we're going to thrive. That's how we were created to live. Thank you, Lord, for, for your death on the cross, which makes it all possible. We celebrate that now that you have brought us into unity with, with you and with all of our fellow Christians. Father, I pray for North Hills, that you will empower them as they reach out, as they, as they neighbor those around them, that you will open bridges, redemptive bridges, where as they love people in practical ways, that you will give them opportunities to share the gospel and to build your kingdom. And I pray that more and more every one of us will look like you and be a winsome, compelling witness for your kingdom